You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. My name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastors of our church, uh, the guy who most Sundays gets the, the privilege, the, the blessing of preaching God's word. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, uh, you'll notice it wasn't me preaching. Um, James stepped in, grateful for him doing that, uh, gave me space and opportunity uh, for a couple things. One, to get away with some old college friends. There are nine guys that I go away with once a year. We've been doing it now for 16 years. It's a unicorn of a circle of relationships. It puts wind in my sails, keeps me pastoring um, you know, for months to come, coming out of those kinds of weekends. And so grateful for that space. Also got to get away to uh, a network gathering that happens twice a year where they put about a half dozen of us pastor planters within our network together of same age and size churches. And it just becomes a think tank. Um, it becomes a space to celebrate wins, to help each other through the, the challenges and the difficulties of planting and pastoring. Um, and we get to do that in a space with, with others who are in a very similar stage of life as our church. So huge encouragement there uh, as well. Also gave some space to start prepping ahead of time for Advent. So I trust that'll serve us uh, in the weeks to come as well. Uh, you'll notice that uh, there's not a microphone over my ear this morning. I'm holding one in my hand. Uh, that probably tips you off to the fact that I'm not going to be preaching this morning either. Um, got a dear friend and brother who's come up to preach God's word for us this morning. I love how God's providence, his timing sometimes comes together in a way that you can actually see uh, the, the threads of the tapestry coming together in visible form. Um, and so, a few months ago, for those of you who aren't aware, we're part of the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. Part of what it means to be a part of, of, of this network is that um, in your earliest beginnings, your infancy, you're helping to plant other churches. Uh, and so from our inception, uh, we've committed ourselves as a church to giving a tithe of what comes in in terms of the tithes and offerings for us as a church to planting churches like ours, gospel-centered, missional, faithful, Bible-committed churches in other parts of the state, the region, the, the U.S., and the globe. And so we've been doing that for years now. Uh, we recently, a few months ago, had a church come off the books financially for us. And, and one of the things that I've always been hopeful that we'd be able to do is to help plant a church in the state of Georgia. We've never done that. We planted, uh, helped to plant a church in Alabama, some churches down in Florida, a church in Italy, uh, churches in Latin America, but never had the opportunity where all the stars aligned to be able to plant a church in the state of Georgia <clears throat> here in our own backyard. So in the perfect timing of God in this sense, uh, a few months ago we had a partnership come off the books and around the same time, uh, a church down in Albany, Georgia in our network, Greenbrier Church, was sending out uh, a pastor planter to plant right up the road in Americus, Georgia. It's about 30, 45 minutes away from where I grew up. Uh, and so uh, even there, there's a personal element. Um, my heart uh, you know, leaps for the opportunity to know that there are gospel-centered churches being planted in South Georgia, not just in our area, you know, metro Atlanta area, part of the state. And so 
Uh, it was one of those things where it was, do we sit on these funds and just let them build up in a savings account? Or do we come alongside a brother that's planting in our own backyard who comes every third Thursday to a, a, a network gathering that I get to be a part of that's more rhythmic than that one that I was describing that happened last week? And, and so uh, in God's providence... That pastor planter is the brother and friend who's come to preach God's word for us this morning. And so I'd love to invite him up to pray for him and then to hand the mic off to him uh, to open up the scriptures for us. He'll probably introduce himself as John Schroeder to me. He's Johnny. And uh, so love you, brother. Um, would love to just lay hands on you and pray for you real quick and then uh, hand the baton off. Heavenly Father, as we'll see even a week from today, as we close out the book of Colossians, as Paul references in his closing greetings and instructions, people by name, the church in Nympha's house. There's a personal touch there. The Apostle Paul knew people in other cities who loved Jesus and wanted to see churches planted. And we have that privilege as well. So many of us uh, are encouraged in our own uh, relationship with Christ uh, are edified by brothers and sisters who are not a part of, of this local expression of your body and bride. So we give thanks this morning for uh, the church universal. It's bigger than any one church, the capital C church. Um, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to see that visibly expressed this morning, for the opportunity um, to sit under your, uh, the preaching of your word this morning, Lord. Um, to have a brother come up who's a part of our network, who's a part of our brotherhood, who loves the gospel as much as we do as a church, who loves your word as much as we do as a church, who's committed to the task of planting a church in America's Georgia, right down the road, a couple hours away in our own backyard, an opportunity that we have to come alongside and see that church uh, planted um, by your grace, God. Um, what a blessing it is to... Um, to just be here this morning and to, to have a brother representing uh, the church that's bigger than this one church uh, opening the scriptures for us. And so I just pray for him. I pray that you give him a feeling sense of the things that he preaches this morning. Spirit of God, I pray that you would move this morning to awaken our hearts from their slumber, to open our minds uh, to receive that which you have for us, Lord. I pray that it would be transformative, not simply informative, Lord, that we would walk out of this place encouraged, comforted, fortified, convicted, exhorted, whatever you have for us this morning, Lord, for your glory and our good and joy. We ask for it and we receive it now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. As Jamie mentioned, my name is John Schroeder, formerly known as Johnny. Uh, planting out of um, Greenbrier Church. I was a part of the church plant team 14 years ago, uh, so I was there in its inception, and uh, last summer during sabbatical, uh, heard from the Lord uh, to go and plant again as the lead pastor in Americus, Georgia, called the Well Church of Americus. And I am so glad to be here with you all this morning um, as we continue to look through the book, the letter to the Colossian Church. And we're so grateful for your partnership in the gospel in our city. And I do have a fellow worker with me. His name is Prabhu Dwaram. 
He's a part of the, the church plant team. In fact, I've known him for over 12 years. I've met him uh, at Greenbrier Church. And so we've been doing ministry for a long time together in different forms within Greenbrier and now to, together through the Well Church. And so if you get a chance to, to linger after the service and you're looking to hear some stories about the Well Church of Americas as we start off this year, probably would be glad to be able to share with some of those stories with you. My goal is pretty simple this morning. It's what I believe Paul wanted to share with the Colossian church. In, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, he basically says that he wants to encourage the heart and to unite in love so that the fullness would be seen, that we may know the mystery of God, which is Christ. So my job is pretty simple this morning, is to encourage your heart. That's what the text calls for in this moment, so I'm very glad that I get to do that uh, with you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start to, to turn to Colossians chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible, um, the Cross Point Peachtree City uh, will give you a Bible if you're looking for one, so just make sure uh, that you can do that as well. In these final verses, what we're going to see is Paul is not merely giving us kind of the final poetic remarks of a letter. You know, sometimes when I get done with a text message or an email, or if I'm just trying to get through the conversation, I'll say, hey, I'll pray for you, pray for me, right? Paul is not doing that here. He's being very specific and intentional. He's actually equipping the church and us with the necessary rhythms to continue answering the question that Paul started in chapter three, which is how do believers live out their faith for gospel advancement? That's what he's doing. And so we get to be a part of that this morning. I want to share a little story with you. When I was young, my dad at times would take me to work with him. He was a carpenter, and um, we would, he would get up very early in the morning, and uh, he would be the kind of guy that when he went to work, uh, he loved to open up the gate for everyone. He'd be the first guy on site. He would open it up. He would get the tools necessary, some of the equipments out of the shed or wherever it is, um, have everything kind of laid out. Um, he would even bring coffee for some of the people that he knew would be working with him that day. Um, and then he would work uh, through, through lunch, um, you know, take a very short break. Uh, and then when everyone began to leave about 4.35, they were kind of wrapping up. He would be one of the last people to leave to make sure that everything was taken care of and prepared for the next day. And that was really great for the workers around him, but that also meant that I had to wake up super early, right? And so I was, I was disoriented half the time, and I would be taking off my sleeping clothes, putting on my working clothes, and I would be in the car, and I'd be sleeping uh, throughout the morning, and we would, we would get there, and, and my dad would, would be the, obviously, he's very responsible and safety, so he wouldn't let me play with the big equipment, do the big projects. But I had kind of some of the good work that was there. I'd do the sweeping and moving around. About 10.30, I would be really hungry, right, because that's just who I am. And so uh, I didn't always have the best attitude, and we weren't always the best in maturity of relationship. And so we would get in conflict, obviously, around 10.30 finally get some lunch, quick 30-minute break, and then we would go back to work. And as everyone else was leaving, I knew that I had to stay. But uh, it was some of the best moments of my life, just being with my dad, right? Going to work with my dad, seeing my dad do these amazing things. He built houses, uh, he built schools, uh, he built streetscapes, and they were beautiful and wonderful things. And what I want to do is tie that story to the reality of what's happening in the church uh, in Colossae and what is happening right now in our world today is that God is at work in redeeming the world and he brings us with him. 
That is what's happening in this passage. Because if we're not careful, we'll just kind of look at this passage. We'll say, well, there's a whole bunch of, 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 of things to do. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about uh, walking. Uh, he's talking about talking. And so all these things that we have to do. Um, but the reality is, is that God is doing a great work and he's bringing us with him to work. I want to say it this way. Paul Tripp says this. He says, the good news of the kingdom is not freedom from hardship, suffering, and loss. It is news of a redeemer who has come to rescue me from myself. His rescue produces change that fundamentally alters my response to these inescapable realities. The redeemer turns rebels into disciples and fools into humble listeners. He makes cripples walk again. In him, we can face life and respond with faith, love, and hope. As he changes us, he allows us to be part of what he is doing in the lives of others. As you respond to the Redeemer's work in your life, you can learn to be an instrument in his hands. So God's work each day is this redemption. He's doing it every day, and he's bringing his kids to work with him. That's what we see in this passage. Not only that is how he does it is he actually starts the day with us, working in us individually and as a congregation, as the church locally. Then it moves out to others who are proclaiming the gospel in other places, places we have never visited that we've never met before. And yet then it boomerangs back to us and we look at what he's doing in our local context, in our local community. So let's look at that. If God is bringing us to work with him, our response is three things. Continuous prayer, continual prayer, walking in wisdom, and speaking with grace and salt. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's look at the passage. Let's see this take place. If God brings us to work, our response is first, continuous prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I want us to notice something here. God, uh, Paul is writing and he's saying that we should pray in such a way that it would be steadfast, that it would be continuous. This is the, the idea of being devoted to prayer. And we do it with watchfulness and with thanksgiving. I want us to notice something here. You are not a cog in a machine that God has made, but you are a son and daughter in the kingdom. And I want us to notice something. When we think about continuous prayer, sometimes it's this idea of, again, if, if I'm, I'm thinking about you know, being in the car with my dad and, and, and driving, and it's really early in the morning, I'm completely disoriented, I don't know what's going on. Um, I'm, I kind of want to be there, I kind of don't want to be there. Here's the reality. This is the beautiful truth. If, if Paul is saying that God wants us to be in continuous prayer with him, do you know that that means that God wants to spend more time with you, not less? That's huge. It's not like God's like, okay, I got to deal with you. You're one of my kids, so I want you to pray in the morning, but then I don't want to speak to you the rest of the day. He's saying, I want you to be in continuous prayer because you have a father who wants to spend more time with you, not less. Less. So our prayers are in, in a connection with the reality that God loves us and that God wants to spend time with us as he is working. He's not setting us aside somewhere so that he would go do this great work, but he's bringing us with us and he enjoys being with us. What that does is encourages us to pray. Why? Because God wants to spend time with us. 
He wants to spend time with us, not less time, but more. Not only does it connect us with that relational component to God, but it actually connects us to the very will of God for you, for other believers, and even for outsiders, which is what we're going to see even later on in the text. I love this quote by David Peo. He says, prayer is not simply an act of presenting one's personal beliefs and desires on God. I rather it is for believers to participate in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan in history. When we continue to spend time with God in prayer, what it begins to happen is God begins to align our will with his will. Like we start off in our minds saying, okay, these are the things that I need. These are the things that I want. And we kind of get in that repetitive motion of maybe two, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. And then we just kind of run into things to talk about, right? We just kind of get to that moment where we're like, I don't know what else to talk about. I don't, I don't know what else there is. And in those moments, we begin to say, God, what do you want to do? Because I've got nothing left. So continuous prayer actually helps us to align and say, wait, I need to share these things with God. I need to be honest with where I am with God. But at the same time, God is doing something, and I need to make sure that I'm being connected with him in his redemptive plan in history. And he wants us to do that in such a way that it would cause us to be in prayer so that we may know the very will of God. Is this not what Jesus actually taught in Matthew chapter six? I mean, think about it. He says, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's the next thing that he says? Your kingdom come, your will be done. So as we're praying and as we're seeking the Lord, there's this idea of saying, okay, God, I've got nothing left. I've got nothing else to pray for. I'm not really good at praying. What, what, I, I don't know what's necessary to pray for all the time. So God, what are you doing in the world around us? And being continuously in prayer with our Father helps us to know what that is. It also helps us, again, to be watchful for the things that he is doing in our lives. You see, when we become watchful as he asks us to do, again, it's not just poetic language. It's not being like, hey, be watchful, Thanksgiving. Like These are, these are things that he wants us to see and value. That, it, that we need to be paying attention to what God is already doing. I don't know if you, you do this. Sometimes I do. I have a journal. Um, I used to be really good every day. Now it's more like every other day. But I write down the things that I believe that God is calling us into or the things that I don't know about. Maybe some desires that, that, that I think that are good that eventually kind of will even out and God will say, no, I'm glad you shared that, but that's not where we're going. And so that's great too. But being watchful in my prayer life is me journaling things. Because a lot of times we'll say, I don't feel like God's saying anything to me. Well, we don't even remember what we prayed last week. Like, how do we know that God's answering these prayers if we never write them down? If we don't even know, if we're not even being watchful. Now, again, maybe some of you guys say, uh, and and ladies say, look, I, I don't journal. Okay, but is there a way, is there a mechanism in your life that you can be watchful for the things that God is doing in your life? And those are some of the things that, uh, that you may be praying for, that you may be engaged in. I'll give you a, a very basic example. My wife and I were looking for a, a home in America's Georgia because we felt called, obviously, to go and plant a church there. And we were talking. We've been in prayer for a particular house, and God has provided a, a house that is way above anything that we ever asked for. We did, I, 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 I was like, God, this is not the house. It can't be the house. Um, and yet God began to continue to do things in our lives. So, for example, me and my wife were having a conversation about how much and, and those types of things, and she just like randomly threw out this big number. And she says, if, if they drop it by this much, I think, I think we should go for it. It went off the market that next week and came back on a month later with that exact price. 
Okay, we're being watchful. That's something to pay attention to, right? Now, those are the things that we're praying for, but there's also things that God is doing that we're not praying for that we also need to be engaged in. So if I'm praying for this, but God is working here, if I'm watchful, I'll say, well, that's where God is, not over here. Does that make sense? So it's helping us in our understanding of what is God doing in his redemptive plan in my life, in the life of our church? What does this look like in the life of our church? Where is God moving? And if I'm not being watchful, we will not see it. So again, it's not just uh, that we would pray, but we would pray in such a way because God desires and he longs and he enjoys spending time with us and we get to understand his will for our lives. We're also not just watching in the positive, we're also watching obviously in the negative, right? Because the church was dealing with a lot of false teaching and so he wanted to make sure that they were aware that there are things that will come to them if they're not being watchful for those things Um, that they could fall prey to those things. So with thanksgiving, and I want us to notice something too, uh, because sometimes, again, with our English language, uh, we kind of miss it, um, but a lot of these uh, actions continue steadfastly in prayer. That word prayer is is a second-person plural, which implies that you're doing this together with believers. Like we might read and go, okay, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. So I should be in my prayer closet by myself, praying, being watchful, and then giving thanks. Now that is, that is okay, we should do that. But that's not what he says. He says, when we get together, we need to be in continuous prayer, and we need to be thanking God for the things that he's doing and watching those things. So then, again, what he's calling us to do is to go to work with our Father, every day, and in light of that, we're doing it together. Now, that might be in your, your group settings that obviously is on Sunday mornings, that is also just in coffee time, spending time together. What is God doing? What can we be thankful uh, for? This is what he's calling us into. Now, we might have, obviously, some objections to that. Like I said, I, my prayer life, whatever we think our prayer life should be. Like, if, you, if you're praying for five minutes and you wish that you were praying or you read this book and it's like, you know, pray for 10 hours a day, you know, go to this monastery and just, and you're like, I'm, I'll never be there, right? Um, or to be honest, I get really, really distracted. Like there's, there, there's times where I've even been molding over this passage over the last two or three weeks. And I'm like, man, I just get distracted. I'm just like, I'm walking. I'm like, oh, I should be praying right now. I forgot, right? We get distracted. We get tired. We even get frustrated. Um, we become very foolish and weak. And even this week, I felt I, I dealt with some doubt, but here, here's what I was reminded, for, uh, reminded of this week. Do you remember in Mark chapter 14 where Jesus asks his best friends to pray for him when he goes to the garden? And he goes back to them, and what happens to them? They're sleeping. Now, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, wake up, you stupid idiots. I need your help. I'm about to go through something really, really hard, and I need my friends with me, and you're not here. How dare you? What does Jesus do? There's a peace to it. There is a, an understanding. There is a coming alongside and says, hey, will you wake up? Will you pray with me? And then he goes and he does it again and again and again. If you struggle with your prayer life, this is the Jesus that we serve. The one that says, hey, wake up. I love you. I'm doing some work. I want you to join me. If you fall asleep, I'll come back again. This is the God. Why would we not want to be in continuous prayer and conversation with him? Even when I had those moments, I was like, wait a minute, I should be praying right now. The enemy will say, well, John, because that's because you're a horrible person and you don't really love God. 
But then I think, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit is reminding me to pray because I am his. Like I wouldn't have those thoughts if I didn't care about Jesus. And yet God is working in me. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We are growing into what we already declared to be. You see, we don't have to lie about our prayer lives. We don't have to like try to make God think we look better than we are. He knows exactly who you are and you can pray because God is growing you into what you already are, which is uh, we already known through the passages that we've already read through uh, the text over the last few weeks. But not only does he tell us to be continuously in prayer together as a community of believers, but then he goes to pray, say, pray for us also. So if you ever get to those moments where you're like, I got nothing else to pray for, Paul helps us out. Start praying for other people. I got nothing else to pray for. Why don't you pray for other people? Why don't you pray for believers in Jesus Christ that are going around the world and proclaiming the truth of the gospel? If you uh, run out of things to pray for, begin to pray for other people, other believers in Jesus Christ. You see this, and this is, again, this is a beautiful truth. When you pray for even the Well Church of America, when you're praying for churches and you're praying for planting and you're praying for proclaiming the gospel, what Paul is doing to the Colossian church is what we get to do as well. We get pulled into the work and the benefits that they get are some of the benefits that you get. You realize that God loves using your prayers to go do tremendous and great things around the world and you become a beneficiary of that. That's huge. That is a big thing. Paul is saying, listen, it's not my skill that's gonna get it done, y'all. Like, I need you to pray for yourselves, but then I need you to pray for me. And he's saying, I'm gonna invite you into this work and you get the benefits of it. So when people come to know Christ, when people begin, the lives begin to change, when God begins to healing, you get to be a part of that. That is huge. It's not just, hey, pray for somebody because that's what we're supposed to do. Paul is saying it's more than that. You get to be a beneficiary of that work of gospel advancement to places that you will never see, people that you may never meet. You get to be a part of that. So you get to help take the, the truths of the word of Christ and open these doors. Let's look at that again where he says, pray for us also, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So again, Paul is bringing the Colossian church into the Laodicean, uh, Laodicean church, because they're gonna be a part of this too, into the work of gospel advancement. So they're looking at themselves, they're being continuous prayer, pray for us also. So now I know where I can also send my prayers to, go to work with my father, my father is at work there. And the reality is, is that we get to be a part of open doors to declare the word of God, the mystery of Christ to the world. So let me give you an example of what that looks like even in America's Georgia. America's Georgia is about 15,000 people within the city limits, uh, 30,000 people in the county. God planted us there. Uh, we have been there since April of this year uh, with over 50 different relationships and we're focusing in our neighborhood. Uh, so we're having neighborhood dinners. We had a dinner with a new neighbor that we just met a few weeks ago uh, this Thursday night. It was a great opportunity for us to do that. So we're working through our neighborhood. We're getting a chance to meet all of our neighbors, uh, being super intentional, uh, especially within the context of where we are, because it's a little bit easier to do that. I've also 
felt called to start a podcast where I'm actually meeting and interviewing people in the city. So I just get a chance to hear their stories. They tell me about who they are, what they do, where they think the city is going, and how we as neighbors can actually go do this thing together. And so I get a chance to hear from them. That's what we're focusing in on, uh, those two primary means uh, of reaching our city. Here's the thing, though. Our city does, really, does a really great job at being friendly, being neighborly. They're actually really good at it. In fact, I was so surprised. I was like, wow, these people know how to welcome somebody. And so I'm interviewing these people and I'm blown away by how good they do at being a welcoming person. They bring people in, they share their, uh, they share their networking, uh, they've, they've brought us in, they're great neighbors. Two of those people specifically has helped me, uh, especially within the podcast, to be able to meet new people. Uh, some people, uh, this one person is giving me a whole bunch of lists of different people to interview, and this other person works for the city, and they have, they have helped me get into the city, okay? But here's, here, here, here's as I got a chance to get to know them. Say, tell me a little bit about what you believe. And they're Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, let me tell you something. I'm not going to do good works that's going to convince them. They're better at me. They're, they're better than me at it. So what I'm asking to pray for is not that doors would be open. As Paul says, hey, look, doors will be open. Remember, he's in prison. He's not saying, hey, doors will be open like, hey, could you open the prison gates so that we can get out? Now, if God uses that, he'll obviously do that. But that's not what he's praying for. He's not praying for physical things to change. He's praying that the word of God will be declared, that the mystery of God in Christ Jesus will be revealed wherever he is, that the doors would be open. Here's what I know. I may never do enough good for them, to, for them to say, oh, well, that, man, he's, he's a good person for the city. But what I believe is taking place is that God has sent us there and his divine power is with all the good works that we're doing. And they say, there is something about him that's different than anything that we've ever experienced or ever seen in our lives. He's not doing this much, but everything he does, there's something about it. That's what Paul's saying. Give me an opportunity, pray for me, pray for the well church in such a way that doors would be open that we cannot open. I can't open that door. I can't convince them of anything of their spiritual lives. Oh, I, can, I can challenge them, but I can't open up the word of God in their lives, but I can proclaim it. And I ask for your prayers for that. I ask for your prayers for that. So not only, again, as we look through the text, if God brings us to work, obviously our response is first, Continuous prayer, praying for what? Praying for ourselves, praying for the church as a whole. Hey, we're praying for one another, being watchful about what God is doing with thanksgiving. Like there's a praise, there's an adoration. God is doing great things in your church, in your life. Don't forget that. We just kind of go over that and say, oh yeah, yeah, God's, God's great, God's good. No, 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 he's, he's amazing. He loves you, he's redeemed you. He's done the greatest work that could ever happen in your life. You may never be the influencer that you wanted to be, but Christ in himself has come to redeem you, to give you a position that you could never capture here on earth, right? So that is the truth. And then we pray with thanksgiving, we pray for others, that the gospel would spread to places like Americus, Georgia. But not just that. But if God brings us to work, our response is also walking in wisdom. Let's look at verse five. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Paul tells us the church to walk in wisdom. Again, a secondary plural. What does that mean? Is that at times we are doing this together. We're not just alone, kind of doing our thing, 
but that we find times to be intentional to be together so that people can see us walking in wisdom as a church, as a whole, as a church, as a group, and then in our own individual lives, in our families, and all those places. He wants to make sure, he uses the word outsider. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Now that doesn't sound like a very friendly term, right? I mean, maybe some of us are like, why would would he say outsiders, you know? Sounds very, uh, you know, we wouldn't want to try to use that word in our day. But here's the thing is when I see that, when I see the word outsiders, what that does is Paul is not saying, hey, listen, when you see those outsiders, those people who do not believe, that's what he's saying, that people that do not, have not put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he's, saying, he's not saying don't get involved with these people. He's saying they need hope. Like when you see outsider, you should, you should, in your mind, you should be like, wait a minute, there are people that are outside the faith in my life, in, my, in the areas of my life, at my work, at, at these neighborhoods, all these things, and I want to have a welcoming posture for them. Like we look at that and we're like, yeah, well, there's outsiders. So, you know, there's insiders, there's outsiders. We should go, wait a minute, there's outsiders. We got to bring them in. You see that? There is a joy to the work that God is giving us. God is giving us an, a, a personal engagement in this. Okay, remember, like I said, it was like a boomerang. You start here, God's working on you in your life. You throw it out there. You begin to pray and you say, okay, well, God's doing all this gospel advancement. That's great. Look at all the, God's doing all this great work over here and people are being redeemed and saved and healed. And then it comes back here and it's like, what, what are we doing? Like, what do we get to be a part of? And that's what he's doing here towards outsiders. You know these, these people, you know that they're outsiders. But in doing so, he makes sure that he says in that verse, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. So he's saying that we should make daily choices that demand a gospel explanation for those outside the faith. It says towards outsiders. We should have a welcoming, intentional posture every day, every day. Think about it this way. Do we live in such a way that people are drawn to us? Because that's, that's what he's talking about. We'll talk about it in our speech in just a minute, but he's also talking about their walk, walk in wisdom. So for example, in a negative light, someone could come up to you and say, hey, I saw that you got fired the other day. I saw the other person got promoted. I saw your family just went through a death or a tragedy. How did you do that? You're walking in such a way that people are drawn to that. How did you do that? That's what he's calling out here. Walk in such a way towards outsiders that they would be drawn to you, not pushed away from you, but drawn to you. In a positive light, you could say it could be something like this. Do people look at your parenting and ask, how do you do so well as a parent in the good and the bad times? Not just like you're a great parent because all the good things, but like even in, when the kids are going awry, like how do you do it? Like I don't do that, right? I, I don't even want you to know what I do. Uh, when my kids go out, go crazy? Or do people look at your work ethic and ask about it? Let me ask you this. Do they look at your social media account and ask, man, how do you do that? Do they look at your resilience to suffering and hardships and ask, how do you do that? Walk in wisdom. Walk with intentionality. Sometimes, and I do this, I get up and I begin to walk and I begin to engage with this world without realizing that I'm going to work with my dad. Like, God is at work and he's doing gospel advancement in our community and I'm, I'm supposed to be, I'm working with him. Like, he's bringing us to work. We don't get to decide like, hey, God, I'm not going to work. 
Remember, we, we put off our old clothes, right? I've taken off my sleeping clothes. I put on my work clothes. I might be in the car, but I'm there. God brings me to work with him every day. And if we become more aware of that, guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna start walking in wisdom. That is what we will do because we realize God is doing amazing things around us and I wanna be a part of that work. And so some of the things that would be helpful to do that is just to recognize some of the things that, that, that you already have. You already have current relationships. And some, sometimes I'll ask uh, you know, individuals or groups, uh, if we look and say, well, what, what does it mean to be an outsider? You know, can, I, can I be impactful to that? I would just say, hey, look, do me a favor. Make a list of outsiders right now in your life. Just make a list of the people that you spend time with the most. Let's just say that. Give me a list of 10 people that you spend time with the most. And then on the other side of that, write down, are they believers or non-believers? And normally when I write down that list, about 90 to 95% of my friends are believers. Like I'm not reaching outside. I'm not spending time with outsiders. I'm not walking in such a way that's intentional for people to come into my life to be able to see that God is doing great work and ask about it, right? So we wanna make sure that we're doing that, that we're paying attention. Hey, if Paul's saying that there are outsiders, who are they? And am I spending time with them? And am I walking in such a way that they would ask? We do that. Then he says, making the best use of time. We have to recognize that everyday rhythms with intentional living is key. Everyday rhythms with intentional living is key. That we have to be cautious about the things that we're doing. One of the things that's so difficult in this world is the idea and the, the promotion of social media. Like it's like two different people that I'm talking to. Like I meet someone and they're super, super nice and super like, oh man, you know. And then I see their social media account. And I'm like, who is this person? What is going on? And listen, outsiders see that. They just do. And they're, and they're trying to reconcile the things that we're saying with the things that we're promoting. And they're just like, I don't know what to do with that. I'm completely confused. Does Jesus care about that? Is that the good news? Is that the gospel? This person being voted in, is that the gospel? Is that the good news? If that happens, does that mean that's good news? Or is there something higher? Is there something deeper? Is there something more? Is there something more stable in my life that I need that you have? We need to make the best use of times. Uh, Paul uh, David Tripp also says this. He says, we, I wanna put the word I in there. I would prefer to lob grenades of truth into people's lives rather than lay down our lives for them but this is exactly what Christ did for us and can we expect to be called to do anything less? The grenades, the grenades of truth. People just need to know. People just need to know. There was a, there was a quote uh, that was said, um, we can either make a point in someone's life or we can make a difference. Let me tell you what that looks like. I had, a, I had a recent, uh, well, it was not recent, but I had a post one time and someone put an emoji on there. I had no idea what that emoji meant. It was like one of those like slanted faces and I'm like, is that good or is that bad? I don't know. And I recognized, I was like, man, our past doesn't have like the best relationship. So I'm like, is he like trying to cut me here? Like trying to make me look bad? And I could make a point by just commenting and saying, hey, what's going on? You know, or whatever, or, you know, whatever, dude. Or I don't know what that means, man and like try to show them out with other my friends. But you know what I did? I just gave them a call. Hey man, I uh, made a post the other day and uh, I saw your emoji. Tell me about it, man. Like, what's going on? Just, you wanna get some coffee? Let's talk about it. Because what I wanna hear is I wanna hear his heart. 
There's something in it that we need. Maybe there's some reconciliation that takes place. That's what I want. I don't want to just be like, well, whatever, dude. I want to say, hey, if there's an opportunity to make a difference, I'm going to be sacrificial. I'm going to sacrifice my time, my energy, my money to be able to spend time with this particular person so that I can understand them. But also, that's in the negative sense. Like if we just kind of want to make a point and say, hey, bam, I got you, you know, drop the truth on you. But sometimes our grenades can honestly be disingenuine hospitality. And here's what I mean by that. I've met many people who are the coolest people that I've met in my first interaction with them. We change numbers, have a great time. They're giving me all these connections. And next time I call them, they ghost me. And I'm like, dude, I wish that you would have just been honest up front and been like, I don't think we're going to be friends. This is going to take a little bit longer of a time. So peace out and we'll just work on it. Okay, we'll work on it. Probably not going to answer your phone calls for the first couple of months, but if you keep working on it, maybe we'll see. But that's not what I get. I get this. I'm going to be your best friend. And then I call them or text them and I can't find them anywhere. They don't want to go to dinner with us. They don't want to, I'm like, that's not hospitality, y'all. Hospitality is, is this welcoming spirit towards outsiders in such a way that's like, I'm sacrificing my time, my energy, my love for you. Now, again, there's parameters. I'm the, you know, we'll talk through that, obviously. There's personal space. That, that there's, those things are true. But our posture is a hospitable one, right? So again, let's make sure we're not doing that. Now, again, we might say, look, all right, well, John, if you're, if you're sharing these things, I've heard some of these things before. I've completely messed up with my family, my, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors. There is no way that I can make up for this time. Paul says, make up for, you know, uh, make sure that we, we do it in such a way that, ha- that has that attitude of wisdom. Let me share this with you. I truly believe this, that once we confess our sins and we believe and we, we, we trust and by faith that Christ has forgiven us of our sins, we can go to those people and we can repent in front of them. I really believe that a repentance in front of people is the most beautiful invitation card to the kingdom. Well, like John, I've already messed up all my relationships. Well, go and Repent. Go and say, look, I have repented before God. I need to ask for your forgiveness. I wanna be invited back into this relationship. And if it takes years or months, I just wanna let you know, I have the posture of a welcoming spirit. That's what's on, you don't have to say it like that. It's probably weird. But you have a posture of like, I'm in, I'm in on this. It is a beautiful invitation card to the kingdom. It is a posture for reconciliation. It is like the bell ringing to those that are hungry. Because here's the thing is, this world knows what it means to be broken. They get all that. And they've trod false hopes. That's not really doing it for them. What they need is something that's beyond suffering, beyond those false hopes, something that only we have in Christ Jesus. And we're saying, hey, look, we're not perfect, but we serve a perfect savior. And I need to let you know that I'm not perfect. That's why I'm coming to you. Like, I need to ask for your forgiveness because I'm not Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Does that make sense? And so it's an invitation card to the kingdom because they're like, you know what? I don't have to be perfect. Sounds great, right? I mean, you're perfect Christians. You guys never make a mistake. And when you do, I just, I just shun you. But you're com- coming to me saying this is a part of the kingdom is like you just being messed up and you can come and ask God for forgiveness and then, and then ask me forgiveness. That might be something I'm interested in, right? Man, that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about serving Jesus because he's the perfect one. And I just wanna say this too, because I know that this is true. If there are outsiders in this room, I want you to know that this church will welcome you with open hands. They will do that for you. 
And listen, we are not perfect people, but we have a perfect God that we truly believe in and we trust in and we're following him as much as we can. He is making us into things that we cannot do in and of ourselves. And so I just wanna welcome you to the family of God. I wanna let you know this is, a, this is a kingdom that's for people that are completely broken, that are completely uh, rebellious. This is, this is for you. Come in, forgive us, forgive us for not being what scripture teaches us to be, but what we're becoming. Lastly, if God brings us to work, not only are we gonna be in continuous prayer or uh, continuously walking in wisdom, but we also, if God brings us to work, our response should be speaking with grace and salt. Verse six, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we know that this is not only a walking, but it's also a speaking. We have to do both. Right? Some of us are more tendency to like doing the good things because Christ is working in us and we like that, but we don't really like talking to people. And then other people are like, I like to talk a whole bunch, but I don't really do anything. Um, you put them both together, right? right? Your Facebook account matches what you're saying about Jesus, right? That's what we're talking about. Speech and walk, it's a both. It's a gospel proclamation and it is a gospel demonstration, right? Season with salt. Epaphras, actually his name means loving, means fascinating, means charming, loving. Like the church that was started by this guy, that's how it started. And he's saying, continue to do that. Continue to live in such a way that you're fascinating, that you're charming, that you're lovely towards one another so that you would know how to answer each person. See, this is, a, this is living in such a way that you have actually have responsive evangelism responsive evangelism, where Paul is saying, hey, listen, pray for me so that doors would open so I could proclaim the gospel. He's also saying, hey, listen, you're living in such a way that people are asking you about the gospel. Like sometimes we like walk in, we're like, I, I don't know how to start a conversation about Jesus, then I'm just gonna like go into it. But like, what if people are like, tell me about you. I remember eating lunch with a, 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 new, a guy that I knew, I played disc golf. Uh, any disc golf fans out here? I hope so. Keep it up, keep it alive. Um, but I was, I, I, I played with him for several years. Like, hey, let's go get lunch. And I was thinking constantly, like, all right, we're going through the Mose line. And I'm like, all right, like, how's, how's this gonna happen? How are we gonna talk about Jesus? How, what is it gonna look like? And we sit down, he says, listen, man, I, I'm here because I'm just completely broken. And I just, I, I've seen your life. I've been so encouraged. Tell me, tell me what it is about you that's different about me that, that I don't have. Like, Give me those conversations, right? Those are the ones that we want. And those are the ways in which we live. We're speaking in such a way that we're acting in such a way that people would actually want to know about the Jesus that we serve, how we ought to answer each person. Again, this is not a, this is not a hey, I'm gonna go tell you about Jesus. They're doing it in such a way that it's a responsive evangelism. Man, that would be a great way to live in our lives. So again, but this is not a response to normal living or nominal living. This is a response to godly living where God is doing great work. Remember, you're not doing the work. God's doing the big work and you're becoming a part of that, right? So you're just, you're, you're, you're going to work with your dad. God is doing great things. Season with salt. I'll give you an example. So we have a neighbor, uh, great guy, um, and we were just meeting and we were talking and this is how I know that, God, again, God's working, right? God's working. I'm just trying to be intentional. I'm trying to be aware of it, I'm trying to be watchful of it. And they're asking like, so why did you move to Americas? Well, um, 
I'm a pastor. God's called me to start a church, right? That's kind of like the normal response. It's kind of awkward response because they're just like, okay, there's a whole bunch of churches in South. Like, why do you? So that conversation, right? But here's how I started it. I started to talk a little bit. I felt like, all right, God, I felt as if the Lord wanted me to speak about how this happened. So I was like, all right, well, listen, uh, last, last summer, I was, I, was, I was taking a sabbatical. I was praying and I was fasting. I was meditating. I was trying to hear from the Lord. And when I said that, his, eyes, his ears perked up. I got finished with what I was saying. He said, hey, listen, I really love Eastern religion. And when you talk about prayer and fasting, I'm super interested. Tell me about it. The language that I was using for him was salt to him. See, salt can be a preservative, right? It preserves the word of God, but it also gives flavor to the things that we eat. God used those words to get his attention to say, tell me about prayer and fasting. Do you know what I got a chance to do? Let's share the gospel of Jesus, amen? Right, that's what I got to do because it was salt to him. He wanted to know, tell me about your practice. Tell me about these things. Tell me about what's going on in your life. The things that I was saying were attractive to him so that I got a chance to share the gospel. I didn't know why Jesus wanted me to say that specifically or why that came up, but God obviously used it for his work. And this is what our desire is to be. So we listen, we must tie our actions and our attitudes, good or bad, right, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we connect to God and we have good news to share every day. Look, people need hope. People need hope. And what Paul is saying is that we have the answer. He's been saying that since the very beginning of the letter. And he's teaching them to do exactly what he's already done. Remember he says with Thanksgiving. What did he do at the very beginning of the letter? Hey, with Thanksgiving, he starts it off, right? Think about the way the letter is form, formatted, the joy that's in the letter, the encouragement that's in the letter, the, 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 the desire in the letter is one that they would see and be attracted to. Paul is only telling them to do what he's already done in the letter for them. It's like, hey, when you're reading this letter, when you see the beauty of this letter, that's how I want you to speak in such a way that people would see that. So I'll end with this. The divine work is God's part. I wanna make that very clear. Okay, God is doing the work. He is bringing us along with him and we get to preach Christ crucified. We preach and share that Jesus has come to make peace with God for all who believe in him. That Jesus is the most inclusive and the most inclusive person that has ever lived. Inclusive in the fact that it doesn't matter where you were born, how much money you have, what status you have, what the past that you've ever experienced, all of those things do not matter. Anyone can come to Jesus, but he also says, I am the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the God that we serve and that we love. It's a beautiful truth. So we call people to repent of their sins and to believe upon Christ. And what do we do? Because we're going with, with God. We pray, we walk, and we talk in Christ and about Christ. God redeems, he restores, and he will one day return. Remember, you are not alone in this work. God brings you to work with him. Respond with joyful obedience. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I. N-T-E-P-T-C dot
www.thinkingmusicgroup.com. <laughs>